Yo, yo, yo. Uh, I don't know what that was. Um, <laughs> welcome to episode 11. Uh, this week, my guest on A. Thompson and Other Disappointments is uh, he's a specialist. He's a lead solutions architect in the field of data analytics. Um, and that basically means that he knows about facts and stats and spreadsheets and basically what they might mean in the future. It's magical. Um, this is a new area for me uh, around the predictive nature of data in the West in the 21st century. Um, so it was a pleasure to talk shit with him for an hour and talk COVID and online voting and um, uh, concentration of data and I, and our worst professional fuck ups. <laughs> so please give a characteristically cold, lackluster disappointments welcome for Toby Bloody Isaacson. Hello, Toby Isaacson. How the fuck is it going? <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, it's it's great. It was sunny today, which made a massive difference to wasn't it to normal normal life. I actually um, have you heard of beer fifty two? Yes, I have. I was just raving about them, but yes, you you talk about it. Go for it. Well, I would do the exact opposite because they made it impossible to unsubscribe. So that's Shit. that's my uh, that's my story. So I've got three boxes. Of, I don't drink nearly enough. Right. Any, I I opened one today just out of. You said you'd have one. I've got Peanut Riot. Oh, right. And it is... I did wonder, do I do a podcast of me trying loads of flavoured beers and each one me going, oh, that's yeah, that's awful, that one. That Why can't they just... I mean, I'm, I've, I'm a self-confessed beer snob these days. Like, I used to be... I'm, I'm basically that guy that used to love lager back in the day. Um, oh, yeah. You know, Cronenberg like Heineken export, like sort of premium lagers, about 5%. Yeah. Um, and then then I went into like a Guinness phase. I still quite like a Guinness, but now I've I've dove or dived um, completely into IPA and like yeah. like pale ales and stuff. And now I get very like, like if somebody was like, should we go to the pub? Yeah, what are you having? Do you want to like, I'd kind of turn my nose up at it. I'm going to be honest. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I, uh, I mean, I'm fine with a lot. I, I did carling. Anyone that drinks a carling, I've always, I've always had a. You can say it. A negative it. judgment. Yeah, of, absolutely. Of that person. Um, yeah. Carlsberg, probably the worst lager in the world. Nicely done. Uh, yeah. yeah. I've had that one. <laughs> That's lined up. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think I got into IPAs, and then obviously got the flavored ones. I, my experience of beer fifty two, however, was. Uh, just in case they are ever going to listen, yeah, uh, was they made it absolutely impossible to unsubscribe. Really? Um, if you want to unsubscribe, you have to call a number which they don't answer. Right. And then what? Uh, they just continue to take money out of your account yeah. every month? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's uh, shit. Because you can't remove the details that you've given them in the first place from your account, you have to call them. So I see. the whole thing is a big... I don't know how much of their revenue is based on people that can't unsubscribe and just get boxes and boxes of beer just li just lining their This is kitchen. really like this is yeah. worrying me because um so we like my basically my <laughs> cooking you got rid of your phone recently because you thought I could just do everything online. You can't. Not that bad. No, no, <laughs> but like so my my cooking over the space of, you know, COVID uh has improved, but it's not great. Uh, so I have like a few, like anyone, I have like a, a select few dishes that uh, I can just about get away with. Um, 
but obviously these you know they get old quite quick and my girlfriend is quite a foodie so for her she's like look let's just accept the fact that you don't like cooking and i like nicely cooked food like she's a big you know restaurant fan and stuff she's like let's just get hello fresh and then it's just you know it's nice food and it's like we'll just do three times a week blah 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 and anyway obviously i'm the fucking one that's paying for this so i'm like oh like oh, can't we just have waffles and cheese every night yeah <laughs> like, yeah so as as a sweetener she was like all right look i've i've gone ahead and got hello fresh but you're gonna love this i've also found this company called beer 52 yeah. And uh, now they're going to deliver you IPAs and like guest ales and stuff. And I'm like, oh, you're the best. That's amazing. Yeah. And they did like it turned up and I was a fan. I was like, these are actually pretty good beers. But it sounds like maybe you hate them. <laughs> I'm fine. I mean, I'm fine with them. I just like control over mm. my stuff without having to talk to anyone. That's right. what I want. All I want is to be able to do things without having to really talk to someone. Right. I see. So their beers, I just don't drink the volume of beer. I've got three boxes unopened in my kitchen. Yeah. That will get drunk eventually. Yeah. But that's because I don't really get drunk often. I see. Is this like a a new thing like in the pandemic or is it like you've never been a big drinker? I've never, I've never, been, a, never been a big drinker. Well, no, that's not true. <laughs> I had a big drinking phase. At like uni you know, or something? When? Yeah, when it was, when you know, you had it was to. in fashion. It was the law. It was pretty much the law. Yeah, uh, it is the law. I think in that season, which I think is what's challenging for students in the pandemic. Yeah, to keep up with that that requirement when you can't do the the you know the rest of it that 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 hangs off the the massive Binging. massive amount of drinking that you have to do. Yeah, yeah. I feel sorry for students at the moment because. Um, you know, it's what do I feel sorry? I feel I I get why they would be so bloody cheesed off because it's like, I mean, the cost of going to uni has gone up significantly since I went to university. Yeah. And I think if I did go to university and I was really looking forward to it and, uh, you know, the lifestyle and the independence and all that. And then for all of that money that I'm spending, it's just, it's, you know, ostensibly cancelled and I'm living at home yeah. and forking out for all, and it's just, you know, Zoom tutorials. Um, I think I'd be fairly fucking yeah. annoyed. Because you'd be like, well, I could have just done open university and had yeah, had this. Yeah. Or, or... And I chose not to because I wanted to go and yeah. have, a, have another life for a bit. But not even university. Like you could, I've, I've said this to my girlfriend a couple of times where I'm like, you know, I won't have any expectation that my son or daughter go to university because I mm. think I truly think that by the time they come to sort of 17, 18 and they have to think about this stuff, it will be if if it's not free, it will be like liberated. It will just be online and you can learn it the same way that I've sort of self-taught. And, you know, and that's not to sort of say, oh, you know, if I, I did it, pat, pat myself on the back, it's more like, you know, it is possible to do it. And if yeah. if it avoids him getting into by that point, let's say you know forty grand debt, then it's like why why would you just live out for a year? Like we'll sort your yeah, rent yeah. out for you. I mean you know touch wood, just yeah. don't get you, into you, debt. We'll give you an allowance of just ten grand for a year to go and live, and then yeah. you figure yourself out. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, th I think that the, there was an issue. What was it? There was because I think there was a government target at some point that they wanted, let's say fifty percent or eighty percent of the 
British population to have been to uni, to have a degree, yeah. have a graduate education, which drove the need for that to happen. You think it was without realizing, yeah, that once, as we all know, when you leave, when when I left reception, for example, I didn't look back. I went straight into into junior school without any thought of what reception was like, and I did the same in senior school, and I did the same at college, and I did the same at uni, and then once I got a job, same again. Now the thing is with getting a job though is, uh, I didn't get a job based on the degree that I had. Yeah. I think that's, you know, that's 99.9% of the population do that. Yeah. They have a degree. Do they use it? I mean, I use it now because I've got, I've got a, do you want to guess my degree? Oh, <laughs> well, I mean, you're on here to sort of talk about data and an analytics. So I feel like let's, let's assume that you've followed an actual trajectory rather than most of us. Uh, I'm going to say you did data science. Or physics? I did music technology. Oh, uh, <laughs> me too. <laughs> I did it. it. Is, uh, it's it's. It, I mean, it's a great degree. Yeah. I learned uh, learned a lot of things. Yeah. Uh, making use of some of it, even even tonight with uh, sure with a with a pro. Well, it's not sure actually. It's Samson. That's a joke like for it. anyone else yeah. that did <laughs> did music technology. Um, uh, it's. Uh, yeah, no. I mean, part of the as soon as I started to learn towards the end of the third year that if you're going to make it in music technology, you pretty much have to grind and work for yourself and hope the whole time. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I'm not for that. So thanks. Got a degree now. I'll go and find a, a proper job. Yeah, it, um, it struck me as so I didn't do music technology. I did. Um, well, at college, I did. I did a BTEC in it uh, and then I did music industry management. Uh, so more of so i would have worked for you probably. i guess so yeah if we had both sort of carried on down that <laughs> if we route. had done what the job thing was on all of our checklists at the end of yeah. graduation yeah. yeah but it's i i think i sort of reached a similar moment of clarity as it sounds like you had where i was like if i actually want to sort of you know make it in the music industry it sounds like a lot of it is like right place right time slash who you know yeah uh slash yeah. be the biggest in fact actually here's a here's a weird thing right i had a lecture one time and this our, our college lecturer university lecturer actually said he was like listen gonna take a show of hands he goes how many of you people in here would be willing to fuck over a band to get your band ahead so you would crush this band's dream to to make something of your band and uh as in like the band that you've signed and uh, he said, he said, you know, here's an example, right? So I've got band A that I've signed to my label. And then I've got band B who are very similar to band A. They could come in and then fuck up the whole operation. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to sign band B to my label, but stall them and stall them and stall them. I'll get them in the studio. I'll say that we're not happy with the track and we'll send them back to the studio. And then eventually after like two or three years of like stalling and stalling, we'll just say it's not working out. And uh, in that time, they've got band A who are like touring and, you know, making headway and stuff. He was like, how many of you would be willing to do that to succeed? And like two people put their hands up, which now I look back, I'm like fucking psychopaths. <laughs> like, yeah, and, then, yeah. <laughs> and nobody else did. Everyone else kept their hands down. And the lecturer was like, 
these two people will make it in the music industry but yeah. like the rest of you i like and i was like what kind of an education is this it's like <laughs> you have to be the biggest well, brick on the, the planet Eth ethics mm. is not a common i just i mean this is like this is almost completely different but feels very similar at the same time is when you're in music technology you've got a lot of people that want to create music but maybe aren't the musicians that they wanted to be so want to make sure that they can bring out the right sound from whoever those artists happen to be yeah and there was one art there was one lecture that, that i was in where the main premise the most successful artist at the time yeah they were saying was uh, robbie williams right and so they were saying look how great robbie williams is mm. and obviously you've got a load of music snobs that are like no yeah. Robbie Williams is absolutely crap. He doesn't write any of his own music. He's he's got he's a talentless fool. He, he, he yeah. you know all the all the usual stuff you hear from those that maybe like alternative music rather than the standard pop. Mm. And I was like, well, no, I mean it depends how you define success, isn't it? His he was able to perform to one of the largest crowds ever. Mm if I remember rightly, like a hundred and something thousand people came to see him and he had such a strange stage presence. Mm. You're like, well, he, he was probably <laughs> taken by a label and loads of other artists were stalled and stalled and stalled and then dropped mm. while he carried on rising. Um, but it just depends how you, how you perceive. Yeah. You've got, how do you perceive success? Um, He's an interesting one, isn't he? Cause he was the biggest star in, yeah. Europe, at least. I think sometimes people who are who are just sort of into pop music, you know, like they're Peter Andre fans or Robbie fans or whatever, they think he was the biggest star on the planet, but he yeah. wasn't really. Like he was... Well, he couldn't make it in America because people kept booking him thinking he was Robin Williams. Oh, really? True story. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, you're not Robin Williams, get out. Yeah. And so he never... So he made it big. <laughs> yeah. Where he's where people knew who he was enough to go. There's a Robbie Williams and there's a Robin Williams. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> he's uh, he, he's. But I mean, he was he was fucking massive. Like, yeah. I, and I remember at the time I was thinking, I do like it, it takes a lot for me to sort of look at like a pop star, like a true pop act, and be like, actually, I quite like him. He's all right. <laughs> and uh, he had a couple of. I, I mean, I don't know the intricacies of what his songwriting arrangements were. I, I thought that he was co-writing, but it may well be like, you know, Guy Chambers and then, you know, Robbie writes a couple of lyrics, like literally three words, and then it's like co-written, but, you know, it might be that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, Could we change that word? Because I prefer this word. Yep, okay, yeah. and put my name at the bottom. <laughs> yeah, got to get those like long-term royalty checks coming in, you know? Um, anyway, so, yeah, um, I thought... <laughs> I thought we'd talk a little bit about data and analytics uh, yeah. tonight. Um, so yeah, firstly, thanks thanks very much for joining me because um, I've not really had a chance to to chat with anyone about this subject at length, um, and uh, it's uh, it's an area that I'm sort of half familiar with through my work because I work in tech, but it's not really an area that touches like front end development in any meaningful way. I don't think. Um, so perhaps you could start us off by like explaining what the fuck analytics is and then we'll sort of go th go from there into like how you got into it yeah well i mean i i don't think anyone really understands what analytics is anyway mm. because it's just a word uh that is thrown into 
into the mix so that there's there's kind of like four types of analytics that people will do things with they might not know that's what they're doing mm. but you have there's four types which is your um descriptive analytics which is where you're describing what's going on right there's a there's so that's kind of telling telling the story using data mm. which we've seen a lot of covid and maybe we'll touch into that in a okay. bit um but there's a lot of kind of how do I tell this story in a way that looks like it's got facts with it? Let me use data. Right. Okay. So it's like <laughs> so I'm going to give you a line chart or a pie chart or something. I see. And that will support the thing that I'm saying. I uh, right. Okay. So in in the uh, scenario of like COVID data, it would be like right. Let's let's get all of this data in from here that tracked how many people had a vaccine last week, and let's also get all of this data in from here, and then presenting that in a way that people can consume it and it makes sense. Is that yeah. right? Yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of your, I've got all this raw data, what do I do with it? Descriptive analytics try to draw out a story from it. You have diagnostic analytics, which then adds the why to that story. So not just what's going on with the data but why has the data done what it's done which normally means you need at least two but preferably multiple data sets to give you a true picture of what's going on the example i like to use is i think it was in the 70s and anyone feel free to fact check me on this mm. because i never have uh, <laughs> is um in the 70s the rumor is that Labour lost the election because it was raining and Labour voters don't vote if it's raining, right. which is a very l big assumption. Mm. And people today would be like, that's ridiculous. But this was 50 years mm. ago, so could, could well have been true at the time. But people don't normally consider when you're looking at a data stream of any type to consider external factors like traffic or weather. Mm. Like if you're going to do a customer satisfaction survey, if it's sunny, send it straight away. If it's raining, wait till it's sunny. Because <laughs> <laughs> people will be happier. They'll be more relaxed. Yeah. And they can they can answer. And, and these kind of... So that's... If you were doing true analytics, you take every single piece of data possible mm. to start to diagnose why something happened. Because normally your sample is so limited that you can't really find out. So diagnostic analytics adds to the story to add a, a, a well a diagnosis of why okay why is this happening then you have predictive analytics which you may you can guess what that is yeah, right yeah it's using a number of different models okay um people will do this with, with excel a lot so they'll add a line <laughs> add a trend line and then forecast it a bit and it'll just add this kind of linear line that kind of just goes off into the future and goes see we're going up or we're going down um but there's actually a lot of different um predictive models mm. which i can't fully define or understand but the the best fit predictions are the ones that look that try to predict from a previous data set yeah. onto a current data set to see if the prediction model would have predicted correctly right okay and if it would then it will use that model into the future okay so that would be like i, I remember hearing an example of this where they said uh, that somewhere in the the depths of like MI5 or MI6 or like the Met or somewhere they were they were running models or like data data sets or something to show like how likely it was that there would be another London riots and uh, they were saying actually 
it can sort of come down to just the weather. And they were saying that back in a few years ago when the actual riots kicked off, they said it was like a sort of perfect storm of all yeah. of these different variables all coming together at the same time. And they were like, so now what we do is we look out for not necessarily those exact variables, but similar sort of instances that could serve as a sort of, you know, a spark. Yeah. Well, the the, the best predictions are the ones that aren't based on a single data set. Mm. So you're you're taking all these you, you make sure that you've got a diagnosis in place first because if you can act on a diagnosis rather than the main thing that you're measuring yeah then you can almost either preempt it or make something happen quicker i see so which kind of goes into the fourth type of analytics that that um that is called prescriptive analytics okay which is where you're using all the data that you have which is both the story the diagnosis the prediction to then prescribe what we should do about all of the data because in a normal normal environment where you have data you should use you should use it for something mm. yeah. <laughs> this should cause some kind of action to make it worthwhile and i and i will act i will it, when it, when i'm kind of involved in these conversations with work a lot of the time i'm asking this simple question what is the point in you collecting this data because mm. if you don't know why you're collecting it it's wasting everybody's time and everybody's storage and you know all this kind of electronics that's making sure that data, data is captured is just purely waste. Is there? And it's just this bump that you don't need. Is, is there a sort of conversation that you sometimes have then in that scenario where it's like a fifth type of analytics, where it's like consultative analytics, where you go in and you say, like basically someone, a client says, look, we've been collecting data for five years. Um, what the fuck can we do with it? Like, is there that? sort of conversation that happens or is it very like because that sounds very reactive is it more sort of proactive well a lot look, so there's a i had a stat and it's a couple of years old now but there's like 80 percent or 90 percent of organizations have so much data mm. and they're doing nothing with it really like absolutely nothing they just sit in on this data because they were told at some point it was useful to collect yeah. and i suppose that's the difference from when I first got into data over where it is now is we were kind of in an information age, mm. if you like, where there was loads of information. And if we talk about kind of like what Google was doing back in the 90s and kind of organizing all this information, it's kind of being put online and everything's being archived and everything else. So much information available to us. What has moved now is now rather than it being information, it's just raw data mm. because the information has now been like it's finished we've got it all now and so now we're generating fresh information but it's not it's not information yet it's just data it's just yeah bits bits and bytes everywhere that without something to collect it and to tell the story and to make it into information it's useless and actually that's that's the challenge of something like covid so if you look at um journalism mm. over the last 10 years this is a bold claim, but pretty much nothing had happened for 10 years. Nothing interesting, really. Right. So we had we had 9-11 back in 2001. There were some bombings in 2007. And obviously, both of those big tragedies that impacted that was a, on a global scale, like people were like, this is this has changed. Actually, if you look at 2001 um, as kind of that moment where suddenly evil that was way back in the 40s. Yeah. World War II, we defeated evil. It was definitely gone. Yeah. And then suddenly it's placed back in the present day to go, no, no, it still exists and it's right here. Yeah. Um, 
that changed how people interpreted everything and also changed how people saw others. Um, so you've got people starting to tell these stories and information's being shared, and then you've got all the conspiracy theories that come off the back of that as well, um, which again aren't based. They, this is the problem with having so much data is you can almost is the Homer Simpson classic mm. classic quote. You can you can prove anything with facts <laughs> because yeah because you have so much data and all you do is pick and choose the data that you want in order to tell the story that you want to tell yeah and so you get through got a bit of a financial crash in 2008 um and then nothing properly happens and we've just got donald trump kind of rumbling along denying that anything is true anymore and then so when you get to covid where so much has already been challenged as a as whether it's true or not all that the journalists had was the beginning of data for what covid is so i was going to write at some point not when it was happening but rather maybe 18 months away from any kind of possible you know kind of backlash yep. uh the story perhaps of how in in that moment the only thing that journalists could do was create panic because they that's all that's the only data that they had all it is is just rising cases mm. hospitals are over are overburdened deaths are on the rise and this is this is just continuing and it's just accumulating and all we've got is these massive peaks and we don't know what to do so we're just going to present this data to you and tell you that pretty much your only response and this is what happens when you're given data you you do something with it and most people reading the press would have just panicked so but then and so you have those two reactions but then as a as a a professional presumably of some years in data is there a way that you would have presented or uh, analyzed and then presented that data that would have been more palatable to people or well the problem was is that no, people aren't patient anymore so you, I, I was looking at what was being presented like day by day as people are mm. kind of pushing out these new numbers and you're like well actually if you look at deaths it took them a week there's a seven day delay at least especially in the early days of the death that was reported to be confirmed whether or not it was COVID. Mm. So you have a number that's being reported to say, today, this many people died of COVID. And like, well, you can't, you can't know that because mm. there's a seven day. So a lot of the stuff is just about being patient. And what I really like about um, Ian Hislop and the private eye is when he was asked, why don't you go online and start releasing stuff, you know, more frequently, he's like, well, we want to present stuff that's well thought out and, you know, meaningful when we publish. Yeah rather than just write something reactionary that may turn out later to be false. We want to make sure we've got all the information so that when, even though it's satire, mm. we want to publish it in a, in a thought through way that isn't, that doesn't kind Is of. Is that a frustration for you with news journalism in that your job is to check what is to is to think of ways to uh, acquire data and process it and then present it. Um, and it is very factual and presumably very scientific. Does it, is that a sort of an, does it irk you when you're then presented with news that is clearly not fact-checked <laughs> and it's tabled in a way that is salacious and uh, like, does it sort of put you on the back foot where you're like, oh, for fuck's sake, like. Well, yeah, I mean, a lot of the time it was just, if they'd have just waited this long, because if you look at, I mean, the Financial Times were doing quite a good job of making sure they were mapping it and just presenting the data and you could see it in comparison to all the other countries and, and you can see how things were growing and how different. So this is, for example, they would map lockdown started here mm. 
And then within a few weeks, you'd then start to see that if the lockdown was successful or not, and that kind of thing. Um, you got people, and I, and again, I can't, you can't say because we're only twelve months in, so you can't say, for example, if it's a seasonal virus. No, you cannot say that. You can say that the data suggests that it is, but until you've seen it run through at least three seasons, three seasons cycles, right? You can't say whether or not it is. But isn't there like maybe I'm sort of showing how unscientific and un uh, uh, molecular virology ish I am? But like, is, isn't there a sort of balance of probabilities to it where you think, okay, look, you can't say that it's seasonal um, because of how young the virus is. But I mean, you could hazard a fucking guess that if these molecular virologists and um, and whoever else are saying this virus actually comes from this family of viruses, and what we know about these yeah. this family well, that, is that's when you take yeah you start to take in extra data sets and go well the, mm. the suggestion is this is the behaviour of this kind of virus. Mm. What we have done in the world mm. is to happen to introduce lockdowns at the same time that the virus was going to peak and then drop off. So I see <laughs> we have a we have a peak and a drop that this this is something I was thinking about over the weekend is we are coming out of lockdown just when the kind of seasonal virus thing would also start to trough. So and, and how and much the vaccine. of us being in lockdown has driven and the vaccine as well. Yeah. So on top of vaccine lockdown, everything else, we are seeing a seasonal trough mm. in something that we have actively created. So we can't. In my view, mm. as as kind of an extra, I don't. I also don't do microbiology or virology or anything. I have family members that do. I haven't checked with them. Maybe I should. Mm. Um, if you're watching, please tell me I'm wrong or right or so, just validate whatever it is. I just need to know that it's going to be okay in the end, please. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But I think that there's there's a there's a valid um, valid argument to say we have almost shot ourselves in the foot with knowing whether or not it's a virus by quite a seasonal rightly virus, you mean, yeah. going into a seasonal yeah. virus, going into lockdown, producing a, a vaccine for everyone, making sure that everyone wears masks and behaves as if they have it so that it doesn't spread. We have created an environment that will make it look like it is a seasonal virus. And if it is or not, we actually won't know anyway. Yeah. Um, which, is, which is using data to question data and it so this is all the kind of that's when you get into conspiracy theories because unfortunately for most people just having the tiniest amount of information is much more dangerous than if they had nothing at all if they just took and that's where i think journalism has has almost created a problem because they're just making the data fully available and you have regardless of how and i think it's different in the uk to in the us so uk journalism is in general trying to report information but it is from a from a biased angle because everyone has bias mm. the difference is in america they don't have a there's kind of a filter what you have with like bbc you have reporters and then you have analysts mm. so when the re reporters are given information they tell you that, that information the analysts tell you what that information means in such a situation with american journalism the reporters and analysts are kind of divulged and and become one mess of a opinion and poll the entire time so <laughs> yeah like sometimes Which, sometimes i'll read 
British, like not literally newspapers, but like read news online in the UK and I'll despair and I'll think, how the fuck is the, like, how have we got here? Yeah. Uh, if, if I look at the sun or the telegraph and I don't mean to sort of portray myself as a, you know, bleeding heart lefty, um, because there's, there's a lot of stuff I could easily lean a little bit right about, um, uh, you know, not wishing to make myself sound massively hateable. <laughs> on on youtube and get a load of like thumbs downs or anything but um you know there's there's if if being right wing were just about uh working hard making your own luck self-sufficiency um and it were led uh and and propelled by people who had themselves worked hard and made their own luck and uh you know exhibited self-sufficiency then i would be like yeah because you know i've I had a a bit of a uh, not a rough start like I mean I I had a family that loved me and everything and that counts for a lot um but I didn't have a you know we weren't a wealthy family and I grew up on council estates and everything and I've managed to take that situation and then turn it you know through a, a bit of hard work and graft and the rest of it so there is an element there's a part of me that's definitely like yeah like fucking work hard find something that you're passionate about and like work at it like it's not it's not okay to just sit back and then wait for people to give you hat. Like I get that. There's a part. There's a definite part of my brain with that. But where I get off the fucking conservative train or the right wing train is when, firstly, when it spills over into racism, obviously. Secondly, when it starts like chipping away at people's rights, and thirdly, when it's some silver spoon fucking Etonite cunt on TV that's had every his entire life handed to him, going like, "Oh well, yeah. If you want something, you're just gonna work for it." It's like, oh, do me a fate. And then, so then I'm like looking leftward once more. Yeah. Um, anyway, rant over. Sorry. Uh, but yeah, it, my point was. Well, it, it's, it's, I, I think, let me, I'll pick up on that a little sure. bit because one is at what point did being woke become an insult? Sure. Surely to be more aware is a good thing, um, regardless of what you, might think you can't just chuck it out you have to seriously consider because it's got such a solid mm. i mean I, i'm a data guy so i will look at it and go okay does this have legs now i've been reading a book recently uh, which i would highly recommend i haven't finished it so it might turn out really bad uh, <laughs> but um it's called the the it's called invisible women right which is about the gender data gap and i think it can probably be expanded into other data gaps um because in the basically in the west we are very rational data driven people that like information a lot mm. um but we only the way that data is collected in general and that's what this book kind of expounds the way that data is collected is based on um the reference man right which is which is basically me or you so kind of between 30s and 40s white middle class mm. this kind of build sure sure <laughs> that uh i haven't you i mean you're not standing up no but i'm gonna yeah yeah we yeah, met. yeah not um, far off yeah <laughs> um and the i mean the classic example is something like um toilets in a theater when the break happens you see a really long line outside of the ladies toilets and a you know big turnover in the men's toilets mm. but if you look at the floor plan they have exactly the same amount of space yeah so it so it's fair 
it's they have equal treatment yeah. treatment yeah. in a in a floor plan, except there's more there's more space available to men than there are to women. It's not that women are more likely to need the loo than men. Yeah. It's that the throughput in a male toilet over a female toilet is different. So you have you should take that into account rather than just general floor space and say that's enough. Um, another example that I really liked was that when they first did crash test dummies, so make sure that you've got a car of fairly recent um, recent manufacture date just to make sure. Mm-hmm. But um, it, it wasn't until recently that they corrected <laughs> the female uh, crash test dummy because it, it was basically they had a male crash test dummy and then a smaller male crash test dummy. And that was what they thought a woman, that's kind of how a woman would be in a car. Right. right? Um, when actually a female body is built differently to a male body. So they probably should have maybe built a crash test dummy according to the female phys- physiology yeah. rather than just a smaller male yeah. one. Um, so those kind of tests are naturally geared towards men which means that you have this massive gap and it's not until recently that people have bothered to make sure that they have a good representation across gender when they collect data and have a look at data Mm. but it's a very western approach even then to want data in the first place so when you look at social policy and the way that data is collected it's actually all they they're trying to say we've got all this data we've got all this evidence to say that this is the thing that we should do and all of that data is based on white men in their mid-30s. Yeah. So actually they don't have all the data. They have a data that supports us. Yeah. And then <laughs> it becomes this sort of weird snowball like self fulfilling thing yeah. where it's like, well then that situation that you're let's say you're building a car or you're building flats or whatever it is, if all of your data is geared towards men, I suppose the end product is also going to be geared towards men and women will find yeah. it uncomfortable or it will be unsuitable. And, and so then, yeah, it's, well, it's the it's a similar thing to, a, to, to the commute, right? So the London commute was based on the fact that women are going to be at home mm. and men are going to travel into the city mm. to work. So the, the, uh, the tube network is basically a spider. Mm. You have a central hub and then all these different spokes come out of it, but everything goes through the middle. Whereas, um, and I'm a white man saying all this, but I'm summarizing a book written by a woman, so read that to check. Uh, a, 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 A woman's general routine will involve a number of different short trips that surround their spoke, mm. but not necessarily the central spoke, which means that if you were to redesign, if you were to give the job of designing a, public transport system to a woman it would more likely be a grid than a spider really because you need you they might not need to travel along the top here and then down a bit and then and so that's why a lot more females use buses over tubes because and trains and stuff because buses generally join up in a in a more of a grid with with other hubs rather than with a centralized uh spider system so it then makes it more geared towards men yeah and how they traditionally have been doing work which is changing yeah. so there is that um than 
supporting what is generally a, a, a female routine and their responsibilities because uh, again from from all the data that's collected and again it's not enough but a lot of the female responsibilities tend to tend towards caring for family members than men mm. like there's maybe only five percent of men say that their responsibility is to care for family members whereas 95 percent of women that kind of thing mm. um so we have all of that and then if you look at it on a global scale western data collection does not match global data collection right because if you look at um the kind of central and southern african countries well a lot of the african tribes but it's more focused around the the more central and southern african countries how they share information is through telling stories right so they tell stories to each other that they learn these lessons they learn life lessons they might even learn you know practical work lessons or even technical lessons but it will all be done through story and word of mouth because the value is given that you have learned it from a person not from a book so therefore the story is living and it actually lives from person to person to person so there's a whole data gap that comes from the fact that data collection doesn't happen in the same way yeah in those cultures over the culture that we've lived in for centuries mm. so there's a whole mis there's a whole lack of representation around the way that information is shared outside of the way that the West think that we should share data as well. So that's a whole, yeah, <laughs> that's a whole other topic. But it's just fascinating to see how how that kind of extrapolates when you start to take into account all of these other, yeah, because all these other. I, factors. I suppose, like from a sort of data novicey type perspective, I would be looking at like, well, who collects data and who doesn't? Which countries are yeah. collecting like mass collection of data and who is not? Um, but yeah, you're right. You you almost sort of have to uh consider how it's being collected by whom for what purpose um it's yeah, yeah. it's fascinating um i was going to say like does it does it bother you as a as a guy i mean we've touched on like media and journalism and stuff but in terms of like let's say like public life or um like public sector processes and stuff like i i sort of imagine there must be way more efficient ways of running a country based on data and the data that we collect, right? So the obvious example that leaps to my mind immediately is like online voting. Um, like it's not so much a date. Well, I suppose it is a data collection thing, but it's not necessarily like analytics. It's to do with like, let's make this accessible to everyone. Let's get voter turnout up super. Like, I mean, you mentioned earlier about Labour getting rained out of power off, yeah. um you know <laughs> it's the 21st century now this is absolutely achievable we all agree that banking online is secure um you know we we trade bitcoin why the fuck is this so hard to do if every time there's an election then like all the politicians are like it's really important that you get out and vote you, you come on vote to turn out get out and vote like they all seem very very keen for us to get out and vote so why are we not voting online toby <laughs> uh agreed to a point um i what i think could be done is to make voting electronic mm. assuming that you have a company that you can trust and is well audited and everything yep. else um because obviously there's right? that movie quite good well i mean yes yeah. it's uh yeah them. <laughs> yeah those guys or g4s maybe g4s yeah. uh involved in the security while circo does the 
does the technology. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, now I've lost any possible employment opportunities from those two yeah. guys. So um, there was there was that film from uh, I can't remember mid two thousands with Robin Williams, who was playing a comedian who said that he had run for president and then he ran for president and then Robbie Williams was um, in a movie. Oh. Rob Robin Williams. I'm so sorry. Did I say Robin? No, Williams? you didn't. I was just being silly. Oh, it's just a little throwback. Missed that. It's... And I didn't give you a didn't give you the credit that you deserve no, on that one. Never mind. It was it was um, a shit joke. Please carry on. <laughs> um, so I I mm. seem to remember that that the premise of that was that they would use electronic voting systems. Mm. Only there was a bug in it that meant that they tried to suppress because otherwise the stock price would fall capitalism um and all of its greatness mm -hmm. uh apart from when it isn't uh only he won because he had two letters in his name next to each other and so so that automatically made that meant that he won even though he got the least amount of votes and then there was obviously the natural drama that he was going to get or the person that found it out was obviously going to get murdered if the story came out mm. um it's good though because robin williams in any movie is good sure sure uh Except for one hour photo, I didn't like that one. Uh, weirdly, that thought, I quite like that. I think I thought the plot was a bit underdeveloped. Yeah, it's a little bit like, I mean, like I I don't know why, but I think of his other movies. I think of like Dead Poet Society, great movie. I think mm -hmm. of Goodwill Hunting, great movie, and then I mm -hmm. think of like one hour photo, and I think it's really creepy, but there's something like compelling about creepy my brain i don't know like what it says about me but i'm like i want to see where this how bad this gets like yeah what is gonna happen yeah so yeah so um obviously not one of his top box office films sure. no um but then it it then put the again this is this is the power of story in the west is it then casts doubt on whether an electronic system could even see. work anyway yeah um, do you think it but, could work yeah, I think the difference is, is you go on right. You go online. Mm. At the moment, the voting age is eighteen, so you can't vote if you're under eighteen. But anyone else past that can vote. Mm. My parents-in-law do not have the internet, mm. and have only recently got mobile phones. I so I... as soon as you say online, the opposite becomes true. Under 18s would be perfectly <laughs> able to vote, but now you're excluding. The generation now there will be a point when the the you know that generation will die off and you'll only have um people have ever been not known how to do online will be mm. a, in existence um but there is a transition period that i think needs to be but it's not considered. it's not a binary thing is it i mean you could have online voting and paper or yes posting. and i think that's where if you were to do electronic voting one Technologically, it would be easier to validate if that person had already voted online because mm -hmm. they wouldn't be able to vote twice because it's all stored centrally. Mm -hmm. um, and electronic voting is also going to bring you out a result instantly, which will put hundreds of volunteers out of work, which is probably not a loss because they weren't getting paid anyway. No. Uh, it, there's a funness about the counts and the running and who wants to get the vote in first and all that kind of stuff, which is a cultural heritage that we've had for generations. But uh, it's not that interesting, to be honest. If we could just get voting done by nine and have a new pr prime minister at 10, yeah. wouldn't that be nice? It would be. And like, I I understand that there's a place for 
tradition and a, you know a little bit of you know we're britain and this is an election and aren't we great and yeah like volunteers in the local parish church like they're i get it but i also think in the interest of efficiency and and increasing turnout i just think i i i would tip over violently into <laughs> let's just get online voting done i don't really see what the argument is against it um i su i suppose i don't know that you i mean you can make an argument again if you've got the right kind of information you can make an argument about anything right? yeah i can see where you could make an argument about if you've got a physical piece of paper that you have to write mm. on they can then they've got your signature as it were against your number you've got one voting card you write on that card you can't get another card assigned to mm. you which means that they know that it's definitely yours that's a very like that, i mean come on man we both we both again, work in tech we know that that is yeah we, we we know that that's i mean you can still fraud you can still do it fraudulently technologically as much as you can do voter fraud in real yeah. life it's very hard and so you only get a very small percentage that actually ever happens yeah but that doesn't that that's not a good enough argument no, it's, it, it's the. It, I think it's the same as some of the other stuff that I said earlier. It's not good enough. We don't. There's some stuff where you just go that just because you have that data doesn't mean that it's it's worth saying making that point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I see. Um, okay, so I I wanted to um, talk a little bit about the future of data as well and uh, the future of of uh, analytics and um, I suppose the the thing that I'm hyper aware of is so in like let's let's spool back a month ago or six weeks ago there was a big thing in the papers about uh facebook were looking to integrate instagram with whatsapp so the output of that yeah. was that they would take all of your messages all of your message history and anything that you discuss on whatsapp whether it is you know holidays or the fact you're going through a divorce or you've lost custody of your children like whatever it is would then go into an engine and it would then predict and uh, present adverts to you that it believes you want to see which in some yeah. scenarios is actually not a bad thing like if i'm talking to you about car insurance or whatever and then i'm presented with adverts on instagram in 10 minutes time yeah it's a bit creepy but it's not you know in some ways it's actually good because it's like i was talking about that i am thinking about car insurance and now i've got a couple of companies here so cool um but in in terms of the the broader context of it um and what happened with cambridge analytica which we won't go into too much detail about because i'm sure there's a fucking thousand podcasts out there that that have gone into that um but if you look at what what happened with Cambridge Analytica with people's um, like personality, um, what's the yeah. word like blueprints, I guess, um, yeah. predictive uh, voting behavior, um, drawing up profiles of people and then sending them political adverts uh, based on it. Um, and now this sort of this greater integration of social media data. Um, where do you see that going? in the next like five or 10 years. Yeah, um, I mean, I'm not, hands up, I'm not Charlie Brooker, okay? So he has written the dystopian future of data already. Um, I think, cause that, there was a, I've, I, you know what, I, I watched, I could watch Black Mirror until it was an hour long, mm. 
once it got onto Netflix and it was an hour long, it was I was just too dark too quickly for too long. Right. That's, <laughs> I mean, ve- very worthwhile project. Personally, I needed a little bit more hope. Um, a bit dark for you. See, I'm like again, like we're getting into that creepy thing where I'm like, oh, this is creepy. Yeah. Let's see and where this, this goes. Is, this is gonna. You know what? You're gonna get. Uh, now that they know that you're a one-hour photo guy and you like you like other dark things that's it yeah um so but there was the there was the um episode of the kind of the person who can't get a last minute flight because they've been voted down in real life Mm. like they've been rated um yeah social credit stuff isn't it yeah yeah All, all that all that stuff which i think that's one option um I suppose <laughs> I don't think we're that far away from that. Like I really think no. Well, a sort of yell or well, I mean, you you already trust get pilot that. for people. Is... Yeah, you see, yeah, tr- <laughs> trust pilot for people. But you already have that with Uber, only it's or um, Deliveroo or, yeah. or whatever else, um, where you are rated based on how good a customer you were, as much as how good an employee they mm-hmm. were. But that basically is a cancelling out of the economy. Mm because you both just vote each other five. And anyone that doesn't vote anyone five, what is wrong with you? Yeah. Because they're going to... I mean, what what did they do? Did I mean, unless some serious crime happened, which they get a one star for, <laughs> they got they did exactly... Uh, is it one? Yeah, one yeah. star. Uh, unless they didn't get you from your A to your final destination... That they did exactly what you asked. Yeah. So, um, but that's kind of where it kind of falls down because they're rating you as much as you're rating them. So there's that it, that that there's that cancellation of of things. I think there was the so there was a couple of experiments that they did around it, which was let's not let these people see these certain types of posts and see how they respond um, emotionally mm. to what was going on. Um. But this is the challenge of a global organization. Actually, you could probably tie into that something like deleting all of Parler. Right. <laughs> Amazon just went, no. And that was yeah. the end of right-wing social media. And they had to kind of vanish in, for, a, for at least a while um, because Amazon just decided that they were, you know, causing uh, civil unrest because they'd been planning the whole thing on their servers, yeah. let me shut you down, which is a different but similar challenge around a global organization that basically isn't regulated by anyone. Because Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter, they have more users than a single country. Mm. So in essence, they are another global power. Yeah. Because they don't, they have to, and all that they have is a set of terms and conditions. But you just comply, you either agree or you don't use their service. Yeah. That's it. As, as we so saw, it with, is, uh, I don't know if you saw the news story about Facebook um, basically pulling news from Australia. Yes, from Australia. <laughs> yeah. They were basically. Because Australia said, if you want to, if you want to show news on your website, yeah. you have to pay the yeah. news a certain thing. And they said, no. And the power that they have is basically dictatorial because yep. it's either you do what they say mm. or you don't use their service, which from a capitalist point of view, that's mm. fine. But it can't work like that when you have 
millions or even billions of users all over the globe because you can't have a standard set of terms and conditions. We've already talked a bit about how other cultures, one, share information, but also maybe interpret information and how they make decisions um, is going to be vastly different. So the terms and conditions actually have to be looser and looser in order for you to properly let this is what, what I would advise yeah. if I was on the you know board of Facebook, for example, um, which I'm fully available for, uh, <laughs> Mark, if you if you'd like, um, is to kind of loosen some of that thing that the terms and conditions to say, listen, here's here's the base, and what is the base? Is it human rights? Is it um, that kind of? Yeah. Here's what we do as a bare minimum, and there are other things that we would like you to do, but obviously we represent a, a very, very diverse cultural representation on, on the global scale. And so we cannot legitimately behave like a dictatorship. Um, so to combine, I mean, it was bound to happen at some point. They didn't buy Instagram just because they like photos. No. They bought Instagram and actually what Instagram has become as this kind of weird shop thing I mean, I don't. I, Facebook's got a marketplace, but never used it. Yeah. It, <laughs> Instagram has, is a shop apparently now, even though you've got Etsy and other places where I could buy things. That, that I, I'd, I'd probably go there, right? Because Instagram was for photos, but now it's not. I think it's this sort of and, like beige uh, muddying of the waters of social media apps, isn't it? It's like. It used to be Twitter was the place where news happens. Facebook is the place yep. where you talk to your racist uncle. Uh, yep. MySpace, well, like way back, was the place where you would find new bands or like rappers or something. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I bet Tom now, Tom from Tom from MySpace is probably laughing. Oh, mate, this is probably the only safe social media platform. Yeah, in existence. He is, uh, didn't he sell it for like three hundred million or four hundred million? And he made, I think, personally, like 70 or 80 million out of it. Um, and it was Rupert Murdoch who bought it and it immediately tanked in value. Gosh. And uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and people sort of look at him and laugh at him as though he's this like failed guy who was conquered by Zuckerberg. But no, he's like, not only is he fucking balling, I'm sure he's, you know, somewhere in the Caribbean making it rain in yeah. the Clissop. But like, so he's well, he's got that. But he's also don't forget as, as worth as much at least as the seventy million or whatever he's got in the bank is the fact that he's not Mark Zuckerberg, so yeah, he doesn't yeah. have to sit I in congressional hearings. Yeah, yeah. And he was everyone's friend. Yes, everyone. People love Tom from MySpace. Yeah. So, I even remember his name. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so long ago, but that that um. The challenge with targeted ads, mm. as they are now, so what they were historically, and I actually got into a conversation um, with a friend a few years back about the fact that I use an ad blocker. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, I don't because that person, those companies have forked out to advertise to you. Yeah. So it's only reasonable to let them let that money spend happen and then you just you you've you're using that website they've paid this company to have the website exist 
just let the advert be. Um, which, if you have a strong will, which I think only 1% of the population really do when it comes to that kind of thing, you don't just go, I did look at that on Amazon 30 minutes ago. Mm. Maybe I will buy it. Like, there's that thought is there, and you've got peripheral vision. Um, so that was an interesting conversation about whether or not you let advertisers in or not. It's a, it's it's a company. It's trying to make money. I think that the I don't know if you watched Social Dilemma. I'm sure you did. Yes. Yeah. I had to think for a second. Do you know why you watched it? Uh, two of my friends said that it was amazing and that they haven't looked at Facebook for like three days since they watched it. Um, I yeah. don't know how they're doing with that now, but uh... <laughs> well. So here's the thing is I watched it uh, because Netflix recommended it to me. So it's the same, mm. same thing. Right. <laughs> Just Netflix. Netflix used their algorithm yeah. to, to to recommend it to me. So what's the difference between that and Facebook? Um, apart from the fact they're not. Yeah. They're only, they profile you by what you watch rather than how you interact with things. I mean, but, I don't know who um, Netflix sell my data to, um, <laughs> but Facebook have such a checkered history of selling data oh, yeah, yeah, that yeah. it's so yeah the the basically the story of social dilemma what i found interesting about it was all of those algorithms mm. represented by uh that uh the that famous actor from mad men uh fitted perfectly by the way well cast um was the the way that basically all of the data that was available to facebook or whatever was being fed into an algorithm that was trying to perfect capitalism. Right. So at the core of it, all they were they don't care about you because all they want is to make as much money as possible, which is the capitalist dream. And what this basically demonstrates to anyone who is paying attention is this is what happens if you take raw capitalism and give it to a machine. Mm. All that you will end up with is a load of tiny little self-agreement bubbles mm. that continue to grow in their own little way. Because as soon as they start to think differently, they might question whether the advert that they're seeing is what they want anymore. And if they question it, they might not buy it. And so let's make sure they don't question it. So all the, and the decisions that are being made, it's not necessarily the right decisions because in technology, there's very little ethics. There's, there's almost no ethics when it comes to technology. It's just, it's seen as agnostic, ethically agnostic. It's just a thing. It doesn't have any morals. It's just uh, ones and zeros and it doesn't have anything. But actually, ethics in technology is absolutely essential. And I don't think it's mm. properly being tackled because we live in a relativist society which doesn't want to have there are certain absolute moral values yeah but nobody can agree on what they are <laughs> yeah and i suppose the and, and so what you can't feed that into a machine because the machine isn't doesn't, doesn't have, have that information yeah. all it has is that capitalism is good so if capitalism is the ultimate good and you've used some interesting language which i would challenge is things like efficiency is efficiency good well, we've been told efficiency is good. Mm. We've been told that uh, saving time is good. Why? Why is why is that? We don't know exactly why it's good, except that it seems that that is some kind of better. And so, therefore, because efficiency is a good thing, and 
capitalism is a good thing, then machines try to do things according to what we've told them is a good. Yeah. I, I, I kind of open up and question stuff. It doesn't necessarily <laughs> mean I'm right. No, I mean, I, I, I get what you're saying. Um, and it, you, I think you get into a kind of um, social theory kind of arena when, when we're thinking, well, okay, look, who said that efficiency was good? You're going to save like yeah. you know an hour a day by doing that okay well cool like what's yeah. what's the benefit of that what, what are you going to spend yeah. that time on um twitter but it's <laughs> yeah probably um but it's like well that's up to me that's up to like whoever else that that gains the hour a day like what is what's the goal of what's the benefit of wasting that time of spunking that input like i mean you you could look at it like if you are more efficient and you achieve a task in an hour that used to take three hours and so you're only burning an hour's worth of fuel well then the benefit of that is that you're being more environmentally friendly first secondly it's probably cheaper because it's only an hour of fuel and thirdly you've gained two hours so now you can focus on another task and then get that to the next goal or the next yeah. milestone or so so I think there's a there's a, a definite place certainly in my mind for for efficiency and and using data to to achieve that it's just a case of not becoming a, a fucking cyborg okay <laughs> you know yeah okay well yeah, i mean that's good that's yeah. the ultimate goal don't do not become cyborg yeah i think that i mean it, and that's probably you know a good way to to when we talk about dystopian futures do not do uh, you know, t Terminator in that. Uh, don't do that. Bad. Something else I, I wanted to... Robocop. I wanted to touch <laughs> on was... Uh, uh, so I, I feel like you and I are perhaps at similar points in our career uh, where... And, and I sort of... I share a few clips of this on uh, YouTube, on uh, LinkedIn, because it's like some of it gets a little bit career-y. Um, but I sort of I feel quite like solid like with where I am career wise at the moment, and it sounds like so you're a lead solutions architect, I think you said, um, yeah, and and so presumably you're sort of quite confident with with where you've got to, and I think like one of the one of the great things about being reasonably confident with where you're at and what you do for a living is that you can actually you can look back at some of the fuck ups that you did like early on in your career. And uh, I was just interested because, I mean, you know, you speak articulately, you're obviously an intelligent guy, you know what you're talking about. And we're having a, you know, a great chat about analytics and, and stuff. But do you ever get to the point where you're like, oh, now I can look back and laugh at that huge mistake that I did like 10 years ago or five years ago or whatever? Um, so last week, no. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'll, 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 I'll lay the bed for you, if you like. I'll share one. Um, I didn't mean that to See, sound. If you're doing this, if you, if this is the eleventh one and this is your eleventh story, that's that would, no, that's impressive. No, it's not. I've not gone down this road before. Let's let's hope it makes for some good content uh, <laughs> and uh, doesn't burn any bridges for me. So, um, so when I was I was about twenty eight or twenty nine, old enough to know better. Uh, I was working in recruitment. And I worked in recruitment for like six years. And anyway, uh, one of my last jobs in recruitment was... Uh, <laughs> was uh, this, this is interesting. Yeah. Uh, was I was working for uh, an investment bank in London 
and uh, I had made a few mistakes already. And anyway, then this uh, this hiring manager called me up and he said that there was a contractor in his team that he wanted to like off board. And uh, it was understandable. Like he explained it to me. He said uh, that the guy has been he's been coming in late. I don't know what his home situation is, but he's falling asleep on the desk. And, uh, you know, we've warned him about it twice. And basically, you know, enough is enough. I need someone that's just in 8 a.m., leaves at 6 p.m. or like whatever. Anyway, it was it was enough for him. And he wanted me to get rid of this guy. And because I was in recruitment in this bank, yeah. this was my job. So I go downstairs and uh, he points the guy out to me. And so I I take him into a little, you know, glass room and I have the chat. And I said, uh, look, um, you are aware that you're a you know you're a contractor and uh, one of the things with contractors is that uh you know obviously there is a minimal amount of notice so um unfortunately there's a few things we have to move around like i was just sort of you know trying yeah. to think of a way to just you know make this all right and uh, i just said unfortunately we're we're gonna have to draw uh your contract to a close so um it will be four weeks notice and uh uh and i said if you want to like work it out and you know have a leaving doing stuff then that's fine or if you want to pack up your stuff um then that's also too uh, good too um i just said it's, it's up to you and he said i'll just get my stuff and then i'll go and i was like you know however old i was like late 20s but my like he was in his 40s i'm like, like my heart was beating in my chest i was just thinking he's gonna like punch me around the face <laughs> i was really shitting it anyway he was fine and he went up to the line manager and i thought he's gonna he's going to lamp him or, you know, he's going to say something horrible. And uh, instead he just said, um, he goes, no hard feelings. I get, like, I get it. So I don't know what his deal was, but he grabbed his stuff and then he left. And uh, then I went back to my desk and I said to his agency, his recruitment agency, like I phoned them and I said, I've just had to cite notice to this guy uh, four weeks from today um i'll send you an email and they said yeah okay cool and then i sent an email and uh i sent an email to the agency but not to him directly because i thought you know i've had the chat with him i've had yeah. the chat with the agency i've emailed the agency that is the end of it yeah. and i thought no reasonable person would interpret this as anything other than this is the end of your contract something's gone yep. wrong you're out the door anyway four weeks later you know that was the end of it as far as i was concerned four weeks later um i go back upstairs um you know getting down to my desk i've got my coffee and stuff this phone rings and it's the same line manager again and he goes uh he goes yeah um you know that guy that i told you to like fire like four weeks ago i said yeah he goes like when's his last day i was like that was friday this is monday and he goes, um, yeah, he's still at his desk. And I went, all right. I said, I definitely told, like, I said, there must have been some mix up on like the last date. So I went downstairs, I pulled him into the same glass room. And I said, like, uh, you remember that chat that we had before? And he goes, uh, he goes, yeah. And I said, right. So, I mean, that was on, you know, this date and that was four weeks from today. So, you know, that would have been Friday. So I don't know if you had a, you know, mix up or something, but basically you know that's the end of it and i really thought he was just gonna go oh shit 
yeah sorry man oh fuck like my head's all over the place my wife left me or you know my house burnt down like i thought there would be some sort of thing that was making him act like this and instead he just goes like like straight faced fucking brass balls he just goes like yeah like i checked my contract and it said that you actually have to cite that to me in writing for this notice period to begin so uh um, if you want to cite it to me today then that's four weeks from today and he goes that'll be like up to like the 20th or like something and i was like i mean come on like i like i said to him like come on mate like i we've had this conversation it was four weeks ago from like then it's just ended now and he was like i mean look it's here in black and white and i just went okay yeah. look just you know that's it anyway trying to keep this reasonably short um i went up and explained it to my boss and uh uh his his take on it stood <laughs> and he was on like fucking 500 pound a day or something it was like 500 pounds a day times 20 days a month i don't know you're in data what, what does that work out at 20 grand that's that's 10 10 grand yeah something like that yeah 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 uh so yeah it was like an immediate bill <laughs> to my director saying like yeah and he was like who whose fault is this and i was just like that's eh, mine and they were like great yeah. 10 fucking grand <laughs> that was a that was a big mistake I felt terrible. I ended up on a like performance improvement plan about that. Yeah, that happens. Yeah, I don't. I don't agree with uh, performance improvement plans. That's another topic for another sure. time. Well, no, that's not true. I don't agree with. Maybe I should. I'll just retract that. They're fine. Mm. Um, <laughs> anyway, that's mine. There's other ways. There's other ways to. Handle yeah. What's yours? Um, well, yeah. You you made me think, and I came up with probably the worst one. Uh, so, but I'm not going to mention any actual names okay of you know companies sure, or people or yeah that's fine um we'll but, just say um, circo i was working okay. <laughs> <laughs> um i was working in so my early career i this is basically me going the only other time that i messed up was when i accidentally got promoted while i was on holiday um, right <laughs> <laughs> and then everyone hated me for it because i was the last one to know um no that's uh, that's <laughs> Uh, I mean, now that's a job interview question, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so um, I was working in contact centers at the time and I w had been in data for a little while. So basically I'd, I'd been doing, I'd been on the phones, then they'd realized that I'm better than that. I get it. And yeah, um, you are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am. Yeah. And I come across as the guy that's like, oh, well, yeah, sure. If you want me to. Yeah. Um, and so I did a lot of stuff that I started to work in Excel and because um, that's all you had. And that's ultimately the best BI tool in the world still, regardless of what anyone else says. Excel is still the most used and most successful BI tool in existence, which is uh, interesting. <laughs> um, and um, so I started to process a load of uh, data that we were having. And basically, we started to hit an issue where... Um, there were two issues. One was the product that we were trying to um, deliver. Yeah, we had such a massive backlog that the product went out of uh, went end of life, so there was no more of that product going to be manufactured. Right. So we couldn't fulfill, you know, thousands, hundreds, or thousands of those orders. We were trying to manage the fact that people were calling us every day, 
saying, where on earth is my thing that I ordered, you know, months, weeks and months ago. Um, And on top of that, we also had this other issue, which was a weird bug in the system, which would basically mean that it would overwrite the previous delivery address with the next order. (laughs) Right. So, uh, So at random, people would just end up with like two or three devices just landing on their doorstep right. and the people that we were expecting them to. So you work for Hermes. Right. I get it. <laughs> I mean, uh, <laughs> I have opinions on all the, I mean, we all, I'm sure we all do. We've lived in uh, lockdown for long enough to have experienced every single delivery company uh, in the UK yeah. and we can probably rank them and we probably all agree. Um, yeah. So, so there were people that were getting multiple uh, deliveries of those products. There was um, people that weren't getting any. And there's the other people that are trying to get these products that are end of life. And there's new products that are available. Okay. So um, huge logistics, supply chain, fuck up. All of this stuff. And I'm just in the customer service bit. Yeah. So all that we're doing all the time is just fielding all these queries. Yeah. Um, while all the logistics and stuff is kind of happening in the background and... Um, so I was given the task of basically starting to make sure that these calls didn't keep coming in. Mm. And so we started to use early forms of SMS. So online online mass SMS to people. So aside from telco companies, no one really had that technology. It wasn't. It's not as easy as it is now. You don't have a load of nice APIs and UIs and everything else. This was build the CSV. Mm. <laughs> paste it in here and hope that it puts all the stuff in the right columns. Yeah. And if it doesn't, let's try again. Yeah. What you could do, though, was start to schedule these communications. Okay. And so you start to schedule them and say, like, on a Monday, we want to say, we're trying really hard. Please don't call us unless it's unless something else. Yeah. Um, but we're, we're doing well. And then this end of life um, kind of, what's the word? Um, lead balloon, basically. We were like, well, we can't fulfill our promise to any of our customers now because we don't have these products. We can't do anything with it. So I discussed it with our comms manager to say, how about this wording, which was something along the lines of, we're doing our best to fulfill your uh, your order. Mm. Unfortunately, your product is end of life, um, but we are working on a solution. Right. So, you know, the standard pretend sandwich of good news, bad news, good news, which is basically like two lies yeah. followed by, we don't know what we're doing. Okay, yeah. Um, so I scheduled that on a, I think it was a Wednesday or a Thursday evening. Right. <laughs> to go out, um, you know, around time that they would normally, you know, past the normal peak hours, past everything else, so that they'd receive it, they'd, they'd get it, and they'd be like, oh, that's a shame, maybe I'll call tomorrow, and then they'd forget, and then it would be fine. Um, so I scheduled that um in the evening i'd gone home and then all of a sudden maybe half past eight in the evening where, where there's only half an hour left of actual call time yeah. the contact center just explodes with calls you can't get through mm. because it doesn't have enough queue time for or queue capacity for people to be calling so they're like what do you mean my product i'm not getting my product now why what yeah and that went absolutely mental my um my boss had been out for dinner or something. He'd gone to a cash machine and taken out uh, maybe a hundred quid cash. He'd got a phone call at the same time and forgotten completely. (laughs) 
that he'd taken cash out. Shit. Um, what, just walked off without his cash? He, he was like, what on earth has happened? And just kind of left with, with the uh, with the cash just sitting on, sitting there, I'm sure. It's pretty, probably still there now. Yeah. Uh, and he could probably just go back and get it because people are so trustworthy. Um, yeah, so that was that was pretty pretty bad. And then a um, few days later, uh, that story of sorts ended up on... <laughs> On on Watchdog, which was nice. Um, that, where That's they were not complaining. that bad. I mean, I'm like, it co- <laughs> I think back to you know. I mean, we're talking ten grand. I could I could tell you other horror stories. Uh, I mean, if if we had time for it, like it's. I mean, like so you let let me let me rewind a little bit. So you you worded the messaging that went out to what hundreds or thousands of customers, and they yeah. didn't like it, so they immediately yeah. phoned. Even yeah. though you had said, "Don't phone us unless it's absolutely necessary," <laughs> but I suppose I mean I tried really hard, yeah, to not get anyone to call us, and I did the exact opposite. Yeah, of course I was well intentioned. Uh, in that scenario where there was a number of other people involved, they were like, "What on earth happened?" Because to us, it's a disaster. We couldn't answer any of those calls, and that's what we're supposed to do. Yeah, um, I did have a boss. That would own all of my problems, which is a big, That's great. Yeah. big help. And I think, in general, in life, if you've got if you've got a good manager, you're more likely to stay in that job anyway, because you're like, this guy's got my back. Yeah, this guy's looking out for me and wants me to do well, and is kind of pushing me forward and encouraging me, rather than mm. other kind of bosses that are just like, well, keep doing what you're doing. We'll talk in six months. Yeah. That doesn't. I had a guy. So I, yeah. I had a guy when I was working at RBS, and uh, so I'm, I'm not shying away from naming, naming company names. Uh, <laughs> I had a, a guy, my manager at RBS, who um, I once quizzed him. I said, like, I don't know why I asked this, but for some reason I did. I, I was like, you know, sometimes I wonder if like any of my stakeholders just, you know, like bitch about me or like talk about how shit I am or like. And he was like, oh, you're, you're protected from all of that. And I, I like it half felt amazing. Like it really, I really yeah. felt protected and like, this is my manager and he's really looking out for me. And then the other half of me, it was like, oh my God, like they really do bitch about me. Like, yeah. Um, but so, but uh, that's really great. I'm glad that you're protecting me from that. What are you protecting me yeah, from? Yeah, Just though? tell me, tell me what they really think about me. Yeah. Well-intentioned, badly worded. Uh, yeah. When yeah. when I, I was at RBS, there was two big fuck-ups there. One of them was mine. I uh, I think I didn't reduce someone's contractor rate or something. This was also in like the recruitment years. Uh, and uh, This is a book. That's going to be a book, A. Thompson, The Recruitment. I, I used to like, used to bore <laughs> my friends with like, you, you've heard the expression like pub bore, right? Well, I used to be an email bore where I would like <laughs> tell my friends about stuff that was going on and I would like refer to it as like the HR chronicles, like ridiculous shit that would go on in HR. And, uh, but there was this one guy who I, I struggle to remember the, the detail of it now. It was something like, I was supposed to reduce his rate because it was around like the, the credit crunch time and you could reduce contractor rates. Mm. Um, something like that, or I had hired him on the wrong rate. It was some, right. something to do with yeah. a rate being inaccurate. And anyway, this had gone unnoticed for months and he had been paid more <laughs> than he should have been. 
And I thought, well, uh, yeah, now we know that, but that's fine. Like, obviously, what we'll do is we'll say, look, you know, you shouldn't really have been on this rate, but, uh, you know, you have been. So more fool us. But anyway, now let's bring you back in line with with the other guys on your team. Yeah. Um, but no, like this was because we were working for a company who was placed within RBS. We were very much you know rbs with the client so we had to be seen to be you know managing things <laughs> correctly so i i had to then go over to my manager and then go like yeah there's this guy and uh he should be on 500 <laughs> but actually he's on like 525 and he's been on it for you know six months or anyways <laughs> bit awkward and i remember her like her expression she just looked like her face dropped and she she was like oh my god aid this is massive like she was so like and i was like i know it's really so bad but honest yeah <laughs> and i don't even still to this day i don't know how much money that costs hayes yeah. who i worked for um but uh yeah so there's that there's the 10 the 10 grand have you had any other big fuck ups have you have you been like shitting hell this is this is the end for me I was trying to think i've not i mean if you don't it's fine i'm just a bit you don't have to make anything up just to make me feel better because i've had you know two of them <laughs> i'm just a bit of a standard guy you know uh i guess the thing that i i've noticed more since working in so going out so if we talk now about well, this is what we were supposed to start with wasn't it the career trajectory yeah um in call centers, every minute is accounted for. Right. So you literally, you are in and you start charging them for your, if, <laughs> for you, the fact that you are there and then you work. And then when you've finished, you immediately stop and you leave and no one can touch you. Right? Yeah. Because you're not getting paid for that. Mm. Um, which is a bit similar to kind of um, public sector work as well, which is, I know my hours. These are the hours I do. I work from here to here. If you want to get me outside of those hours, tough luck mm. um and in a contact center environment because you are being paid hourly or 15 minutely really yeah but normally around you normally working an hour thing but if you work an over 15 minutes blah 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 um you're basically working the hours that you're you're scheduled to work and that is it so you come in you learn how to work and get all of your stuff done in the time allotted to you mm. so you go you go in and you and if you can't get it done I'll do it tomorrow mm. because if it is that urgent, they will pay me to do extra. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's how it works. Um, which is why contractors are missing a trick by charging day rates. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. They're so, they're they so inefficient. With... <laughs> ah, honestly. Um, so going out of that kind of work environment into, um, so then I started to work for um, a large um, services integrator, mm. um, which had a very similar, in one sense, it was very, no, it was, in, it was a completely different what we're talking about. Um, I, I had a very similar management experience, which was that I had a good manager who would always look out for me and make sure that I was doing, mm. doing well and doing, doing the right kind of things. But it was also completely different because I was working with a project team that was mostly contractors um, and they would be working, you know, all hours. So I'd get in and they'd already been there for two hours. I'd leave and they wouldn't be leaving. And they, 
but I'd got into the habit of working the hours that I was told mm. to work. So I got into the same kind of habit with this, which was I'm going to work nine to five. I'm going to work nine to five. And this is how I'm, how many hours I'm scheduled to work. So this is how many hours I'm going to work. And then I moved from there into financial services and, and fintech. And financial services is a very different culture. Oh, for sure. Like if, yeah. if you only work the hours that you've been told you should work, <laughs> they look at you and go, what the, what? You're not doing your hours. Yeah. What the fuck like, well, are you no, doing? I, like, well, I think I, in fact, I think when I moved from contract from um, pure technology mm. to fintech, my out, my contracted hours were reduced. So it, I went from either 40 hours or 37 and a half hours down to a 35 hour contract. Sweet. So only expected to work seven hours a day. So were you like, so oh, this is going to be sweet. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. And the fact is, I'd worked out how to be efficient. <laughs> so. <laughs> I could get all my work done that I needed to get done yeah. in the time frame of a nine o'clock to a five o'clock. Yeah. And when I was challenged going, ah, oh, these other guys, they don't think you're pulling your weight because, you know, that they're in before you, they leave after you. Yeah. And they just think that you're not putting in the hours. And I said, well, okay, well, where's my work suffering? What deliverables am I giving that maybe could do with more time? And I'll put the time in. They went, oh, no, your work's absolutely fine. Yeah. <laughs> you just need to do more, do more hours. And so... It's like, for what, to, I, I to said, what end? I, ch I challenged them to say, maybe they're not efficient and can't get the, maybe they need more support. Yeah. Because they can't get the work done that they need to. Nice. In the time that they've been given. Nice turnaround. Um, I like it. Uh, you know, yeah. I'm an analyst. I, I look at these things in all these different ways. Yeah. Um, and it was more of a lesson to go, right, there's a certain amount of perception that is needed in the workplace mm. they need to sometimes they do need to see you sometimes that perception is get in early have a fag break have a long breakfast and then sit down at your desk at 11 o'clock yeah. work until lunchtime take a two-hour lunch um work at your desk kind of but actually just be drinking coffee then have another fag break and then i think there's yeah so which which means that you're in a lot of the day but you only work two or three hours well like um, what you're alluding to is <laughs> so i I worked at a place and I, I will not name them because uh, they were actually very good to me and um, and I, I really value uh, the input and, and protection and uh, support that they gave me. But I do remember a conversation with uh, with a couple of them where like teams of devs had worked until like 11 o'clock in mm. the evening at night and uh, to get something over the line and released you know finished to, to make yeah. stakeholders okay. happy and then not a week later the the direct like the, the head of the department was complaining that these same devs were you know they'd come in and then they were having a breakfast until sort of you know half 10 11 in the morning yeah um and that to be fair the head of like, i think it was a delivery manager at that point he was like i mean look they are <laughs> They're staying late for you. They're getting shit done. They're yeah, working yeah. hard. If there's nothing to do that morning, or it's you know it's just little tech debt yeah. bits and pieces, then just let them have yeah, a yeah. fucking breakfast. It's like what's yeah. what's the big deal? It's not. This is one of the things I, I think COVID has actually shone a light on. And I remember reading a, a few tweets about this by Ian Dunt, is a political uh, journalist, uh, but he was saying like with COVID and work from home and. And this new sort of paradigm that everyone is working under what it's done is it's made people reconsider how work is actually done uh 
and we we've always subscribed to this idea that that work is something that you can you should be like a machine you should clock in at mm. half eight in the morning and then you should work solidly half eight until 12 and then you have a lunch break and then you come back and you clock in at 12.59 and then you work solidly like a machine until 5.30. And at that point, you can yeah. like clock out. But actually, realistically, and I'm assuming, you know, you're a data guy. If you looked at the actual data or if you looked at footage of people, if you really looked at the specifics of how people work, you would know people do not work like that. People are not machines. No. What they actually do no. is they come in at 8.30. Like you say, they go and make a coffee. Then they go and hang around their friend's desk. They do a bit of flirting with the girl on reception. Then, you know, they come and they do a bit of work. Then they go off and they they, they have a a long shit, let's be honest. They have a, a dump <laughs> and slump poo in the office toilet. And then they, you know, they walk their way back. You know, it's it, work is done in bursts. It's done in like, right, yeah. cool. I've got to do this by quarter past ten. Right, here I go. And then they smash it out. And then after that, they're like, well, done a bit now. Time for a chat well, with. I think that's that work in general. One is very frustrating, mm. and whatever you think you are good at, you always find a way. There's always something that goes, yeah, but are you? Um, yeah, <laughs> but I think working work in general is built around the idea of achieving a thing. Mm. Multitasking has been kind of debunked as a, you can't do more than one thing at a time. It takes a while to context switch from this to that. So if you're doing something and someone pings you on Teams or um, asks you to join a meeting, you're like, well, yeah, but now I've lost the momentum of this thing and I've got to go and do this other thing. Yeah. Um, and context switch switching actually is a bigger part of work now than ever because you are only online. So people don't know if you're working online. Mm. So they can't see. You can set yourself as do not disturb, but then people just think that you're skiving, um, which is a school thing. Just let it go. People are adults. Yeah. Um, but And I think that outside of certain industries, so contact center is one, um, and there's a few other kind of core industries that are like that, which is you clock in, you wait for the work to happen, mm. and then when the work stops, you stop. Um, uh, there was a great art, great white paper. I can't remember who wrote it. It might have been Facebook. Um, <laughs> so the, the credit, so credit where credit's due. Um, but it was basically saying that working from home is not the same as mobile working. No. So working from home is you are not in the office but you are joining in with an office um, tradition or an office calendar mm. or an office routine where you know that people are going to start coming into the office and be available from about 8.30 and then people are going to be less available between 12 and 2 and then they're going to start to be less available again from kind of 5, 5.30 onwards. People are going to start trickle away and you join in with the office routine that exists because you're working outside of that routine, but you're trying to join in with it. Whereas mobile working, there is no routine and everyone has now found their own routine. Mm. So the only, so there's no, the collaboration has to be different because you're not checking if someone is available or you're not dialing into a meeting where everyone else is in the same meeting room. Mm. You're actually all not in the same meeting room and you all have got your own routine. And so you have to figure out how to collaborate when there's no set routine anywhere for people to know what to do yeah it's the difference between being 
like sort of covid lockdown working on zoom having morning stand-ups over teams or, or whatever yeah. and being given a task and saying right go away and work on this and come back when it's complete yeah. uh, and truly like from a dev's perspective it would be like you know actual remote contracting work it's like build me an app yeah. off you go yeah, yeah. Uh, whereas we have these set of stories that need to be delivered yeah and we'll have a we'll have a, a sprint review to see how how many of those did you get done and how many are moving into the next week exactly all that kind of yeah stuff. yeah um mate we've been we've been chatting up for a while so i'm just gonna uh wrap this up now because i i don't know how much longer my cpu can take this streaming and recording log so it does sound a little bit now uh it's like you're about to get blown out of that door yes i mean we're, we're not far off that i will try and close this out though uh it's called the, the podcast is called a thompson and other Dis disappointments um what is the last thing that you did that you really wish that you hadn't <laughs> I think I'm going to start with this opening this peanut riot. Yeah. It really. Oh, that's gross. I've, yeah. I've, I've got through it. Never again. No, that's that's Never a again. lose for you and for beer 52. Um, yeah. What is the worst album you've ever bought? Um, probably. Uh, am I allowed? This might sometime it might bring me some nostalgic pleasure, but probably the Wheatus album. Really, Controversial. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I quite like Wheatus. I can't, I can't listen Wait, to hang on. Dirtbag anymore. I'm thinking of Weezer. Yeah, no, it's not Weezer. Weezer are great. Wheatus, okay, Weezer, right. I get yeah, it. Teenage Dirtbag. Uh, yeah. Do you think? Though I'm probably going to go and listen to that later, just to get it out of my, out of my little. Earwig. Do you think they called themselves like? Do you think the label were like call yourself Weezers because Weezer are pretty cool and it's like a whole yeah, weed yeah. vibe, you know? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> we need other bands that start with we. Yeah, the data says that people like we. So yeah. yeah. Um, okay. There's no one in that particular alphabetical bit in HMV. So if you could just yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Okay, and uh, worst date you've ever been on. Um. I think, and you can name names. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the problem. I've been married now for nearly twelve years. Jesus. So I don't remember what dating's like. What dating? It's that other type of traditional data. dating. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not a very good dater. Uh, if you yeah. get what I mean. Uh, I actually thought of that I've... earlier in the shower, and I was like, "That's really funny, Aid. You should do that." Yeah. yeah. Later. Yeah. Definitely. You worked it in. Thanks. Well yeah. done. Um, I can't. No, I've I've got no memory. No memory of that. <laughs> You're so happily married that everything before is just a whitewash. You're like, that was terrible. And now this is great. Exactly. Yeah. I like that. That's yeah. good. Life is great now. All right. That's what matters. Cool. Well, we'll leave it there. Thank you so much for joining us uh, or joining me and um, my probably one or two concurrent viewers on, on YouTube. And uh, yeah, I'd love to get I you back someone on else joined it as another well. time as soon as like data is in the news and we can have a chat about whatever it is that's going on. And, yeah. and we'll go from there. Cool. Cool. Thanks very much for having me. All right. Been fun. Thank you very much, Toby Isaacson. Yeah.